0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: One particular image that you will no doubt relate to when you think of London in the UK, the iconic red double-decker buses. What you might not know is that the company that runs those buses today is an Aussie company. Well, our privilege today to tell a rags-to-riches story of an Australian business enterprise that's grown into a global success. Transit Systems is an Australian-based international public transport company. They've just won a very prestigious award. So something of a celebration today, Tower Transit Group was named International Business of the Year. It's a prestigious award given to the UK business that's judged to have achieved the most impressive overall business performance internationally during the past year. Well, co-founder Graham Leishman is the chairman of Transit Systems, operating uh, that company that employs really more than 5,000 staff, operating 2,200 urban buses and transport over 170 million passengers each year. So, wherever you're listening around Australia today, in Perth, Transit Systems operates Metropolitan Bus Services in Perth. Uh, that's Swan Transit. If you're listening in Adelaide today, uh, Torrens Transit. In Sydney, Transit Systems New South Wales. In Darwin, Territory Transit. Uh, there's lots of other arms to Graham's business enterprise today, and we'll talk through some of those things. But a special welcome to you, Graham Leishman.
2: Thanks, Neil. Great to
1: be here. Graham, I was just reflecting before uh, coming on air with you. Uh, back in the 1980s, I remember having a meeting uh, and I got his autograph but Reg Varney was the star of Absolutely. On the Buses. Yes. And uh, that iconic images of those big red double-decker buses in London, well, it was uh, a memory for me. I've got his autograph in my autograph album. But I was reflecting on people of your vintage and mine. We grew up watching this British sitcom right. On the Buses. Did yes. you ever think that you would one day own the company?
2: Absolutely not. <laughs> Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, well, uh, it's one of those uh, iconic symbols of the UK. Mm. When you're in the UK, do you get people concerned that somehow or other one of their iconic symbols is in Aussie hands?
2: Uh, Yes, the colonial boys are here. uh, Worries them a little bit. But I should correct you one thing there, Neil. There are 8,000 buses in London. We operate 600. So there are a lot of other operators in in London, British operators and French operators, etc., quite apart from the Aussies, although we're viewed askance by... Many of them. Um, And it's great to be there and we are growing. So that's great. And as
1: an Aussie business, uh, most uh, high congratulations because of the awards that you've been winning of recent times. I mentioned uh, one of those awards uh, and that one is, I imagine, the most prestigious. Uh, That one, the International Business of the Year in the UK. Yes. Uh, You were up on stage uh, receiving some accolades for that. Uh, What does all that mean to you?
2: Well, it's, it's a feather in our cap, so to speak. Um, it's something that was totally unexpected. We we're up against some huge international companies. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a lot of people have 5,000 staff work for you, but some of these people had 50,000 people working for them. So for us to win it, we went along. I wasn't actually there. My son and my, one of my business partners, Neil Smith and Adam, my son, were there, and uh, they were sort of shocked. At the, at the evening um, with these, the Duke of Gloucester and all the rest of it, the people that were there, and they went along not expecting to win anything as the smallest operator and the smallest business out of all the ones that had tried out to uh, win the award, and we won it, which was, well, exciting, wonderful, but a real shock.
1: When you win awards like that, I imagine that for future business deals, those sorts of things come in very handy when you get that sort of accolade because your reputation goes up, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that came hot on the heels of another business award, the Best Workplace Culture and Engagement. And you won that award over the likes of Dell Computing and Bloomberg, uh, FedEx, McDonald's, and DBS Bank and Unilever. Now, they are huge, huge companies. Uh, how do you feel getting your name mentioned uh, amongst that sort
2: of company? Well, once again, just shocked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that award was in Singapore, of course, uh, and what we did there was we changed the professional attitude. We, we, when we won a big contract in Singapore with four 380-odd buses, um, recently, a couple of years ago, it was very, very difficult to get people to come and work um, to be a Reg so to speak, Neil. Yep. Um, but we found that what was happening was that the existing operators in Singapore were treating the drivers a little bit, well, let's say, dif- difficultly. And um, we, we brought in a whole regime of in- in improving a maternity leave for lady drivers, um, giving bus drivers um, professional training, et cetera, and it became a real thing that people we we had ten thousand applications for one thousand positions. So it was all that cultural change that we brought in that won us the contract and got us the employees. So.
1: We might talk some more about culture when you're in business and especially when you're a Christian businessman and you're running a business. Uh, Because there are different motivations that Christian business people often bring uh, to their business enterprises, and we might uh, explore that a little later on. There might even be listeners who might like to uh, contribute to the conversation when it comes to the way you run a business as a Christian. And we'll talk about your Christian faith, too, a little uh, as we get into our conversation. Let's go back to some early days uh, when you got into buses originally. Uh, Tell us the earliest time when you think uh, that you actually discovered that uh, you had an interest in actually getting into transport and buses became something of uh, a focus for you.
2: Mm. Well, actually, we we started in buses in 1971 uh, when my father, who was a real estate agent in the central coast New South Wales at Gosford, some people walked in one day and said, do you sell businesses? And uh, he said, yes, I do. And, and if so, well, we'd like to sell our business. And it turned out it was the black and white bus service operating in Edelong and Woi Woi and Yumina, and Gosford, etc. So dad looked at the business to put to put it on the market. And he came to me, and I was only very young, 21 uh, in that stage. And he said, this is a pretty good business. We should have a look at this. Well, the rest is history. Uh, we looked at it, ended up buying it. Um, with their, their knowledge that we were the real estate agent trying to sell it, but they were very happy. And then that grew from 30, 40 buses to we ended up, we were approached by a number of the other operators on the Central Coast at the time to buy them out. So we ended up with, I think, three different operations on the Central Coast.
1: And things were on the up and up, and I imagine that there were some other acquisitions in there as things were starting to go along very well, simmering along nicely when it comes to business growth.
2: Yes, there was. And opportunities came out of that business because we had cash flow. Uh, my uh, younger brother was still heavily involved in real estate, so he'd find a good deal, so to speak, and I'd, we'd be able to use the cash out of the business to to do some small developments, very small but yes, those opportunities came along and were regular. So.
1: And when the dollars are flungling in, uh, things are growing. Uh, everyone seems happy. Uh, things are going well. Your reputation is growing. And, uh, you know, when business is going well, things go well for you personally as well. Uh, but then a crunch comes. Uh, Let's reflect for a few moments on what happened back in the 1980s when what is known as the Grafton bus disaster uh, made the headlines uh, perhaps all over the world because Mm -hmm. there were 21 people killed in that disaster. And I know it's sometimes painful for you to revisit that, but what are your reminiscences of getting a phone call in the very early hours of the morning saying that one of your buses had just been involved in a significant incident and mm. uh, colliding with a truck.
2: Well, to answer your question, Neil, it was horrific. Um, I did receive that call very early in the morning. I thought, no, this can't be right. It's got to be a bad dream. But it turned out to be accurate. And uh, I got down on out of bed after I'd answered the, the call and just got down on my knees and started to pray that this wasn't correct, that these people hadn't been... We didn't know at that stage... The full ramifications of what had happened, we just knew. I just knew that there'd been a serious accident, a truck had run into a bus, etc. uh in the middle of the night, and it just took a long time to get some facts. We weren't allowed by the police to, to get down there and find out exactly what was going on. We wanted to visit the people that were in hospital and told not to be, because of the, the police were worried that there could be violent reactions from some of these families until they knew exactly what had happened. And it took quite some months for the coroner's report to come out to say that we were 100% cleared of any, um, any, any responsibility for the accident. And apparently the truck driver who had driven from Melbourne to Brisbane without a stop and then loaded, unloaded and unloaded again to go to Sydney uh, had been driving for over 30 hours and was loaded up with pep pills, um, went to sleep at the wheel, I believe, and crashed into our bus coming in the other direction the driver of the truck was killed, and and then twenty people on our bus, and it was just horrific. And I still feel for those families involved, and I still often pray for them, um, even though that you know time cures all things. They say it's very hard to cure that. So it was uh, just an, a horrific time for us, and 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 for me and and my family and and my business partners, just terrible.
1: At the time, it was the worst. Bus accident, uh, the biggest loss of life Uh, that had happened in Australia's history. And that was overtaken just a couple of months later when there was another horrific bus crash known as the Kempsey bus crash. The bus that yours was involved in uh, was the Grafton bus crash. Uh, The Kempsey bus crash uh, just a couple of months later was even worse again.
2: Yes, two buses head on in in foggy conditions that, as you say, at Kempsey, on, on a concrete road that had, I always think it was a mistake, but they put white lines on the concrete, light grey concrete, very hard to see in, in foggy conditions, misty conditions, and for whatever reason, these, one, one bus got onto the wrong side of the road and collected the other one coming out of the direction. So that was just terrible.
1: Now, Graham, so significant was the Grafton bus crash, and then to be followed by another significant bus crash, the Kempsey bus crash. People stopped buying tickets on the buses.
2: Absolutely, uh,
1: People were uh, ignoring the opportunity to go on a bus because they were so impacted by the trauma of what had happened. I mean, the whole nation was in shock uh, when those bus crashes happened, and the bottom fell out of your business. Yes. Describe how that was working.
2: Well, uh, we were in a situation where we had uh, a number of uh, local bus companies as well as the Express Coach company where the, the accident occurred and we given cross-guarantees from one company to the other, to the bank, etc. Um It was very, very difficult times because, as you said, the income dried up on the express side but was still quite good on the, on the local bus side. Uh, we operate a Bayside bus lines here in Brisbane. And over a period of time... The uh, bank took action, uh, which was uh, very difficult, and then we ended up without any business at all. Um, we think, you know, I could go through into all the details, but long and short of it was that they the bank put in an investigative accountant to have a look at the business to see what they believe would happen to the business. Um, I didn't realise at the time that the investigative accountant also was, was had their own receivership arm, so there were conflict. and even though we'd been able to meet all our commitments to the bank, well, after the accident, for another two years, 18 months, um, they took the position that we were uh, liable to fall over, so they moved in early, so to speak, even though we had not defaulted on anything. Um, and the, they used the, and we had a thing called an equitable mortgage or fixed and floating charge across, which basically meant that they could use any sort of reason. And the reason they used to, to move in, even though we weren't in default financially, was that we were not, were not fit and proper people to manage a business and that um, they felt that you know we hadn't put enough money aside to keep the business going in bad times. Well, you might remember those times, Neil. We were paying 17% interest. That was the recession we had to have. Uh, and when they, the bank came in and flagged that they said that they were going to help us, what they did then, they, they went from 17%, we're going to help you, and we'll put your interest rate up to 23%. So we were trying to meet the interest rate of 23%. Every month we had an interest instalment due, and it was very, very difficult. Uh, we were doing it, um, but when they actually called in the loan, and um, we they closed us down in mid-February, and at the end of March, I'd actually what well, six weeks later at the end of March, I'd sold a the property that we had, the bus depot, to a, a, a large building company, and they were going to build a retirement village on that bus depot, and we were moving out, and that would have repaid sixty-five percent of our loan to the bank six weeks after they closed us down. Uh, but they wouldn't wait. They said it wasn't going to happen. Uh, it was difficult times, and they weren't the people weren't going to settle. Well, they did settle, and the bank got sixty-five percent of their money back within six weeks of what they did to us. But we went back to the bank and said, "Listen, can we?" you know, your your loan's almost paid out now, can we get back in? And and they shut up shop, realised they'd made a mistake, wouldn't talk to us, wouldn't answer our calls, wouldn't answer our letters, wouldn't speak to our solicitor. So we were just locked out.
1: We'll talk some more about what it's like when the bottom falls out of your business and your life begins to spiral downwards. But before we do, let me just take you back to The night you got the news about the bus crash, the Grafton bus crash, 21 people killed, you said you got out of bed. It was very early hours of the morning, and the first thing you did was get on your knees and seek God, asking him that surely this news can't be as bad as what I've just heard it might be. As a Christian believer at the time, can you reflect as to whether you were feeling like you're on top of the world things going well, business is booming. And then to be sideswiped by something like this that can take you from high roller to nothing, that this sort of thing can happen to a Christian believer. When did that sort of thing begin to come over you as you as you reflect on how you thought that you ought to be as a Christian under God's blessing at the time? And all of a sudden, Things go bad.
2: Well, the first thing is you think, why me, Lord? Why this? How can this be? Um, You know, you've done all things. You love the Lord. You want to bring glory to him. uh, And yet uh, this sort of comes along and uh, ends up you don't even have a house. You know, you've lost everything. So I I guess I thought of Job a little bit. And, and, you know, I had to be very careful, Neil, because in hindsight I had a lot of self-pity, which wasn't good. But, you know, we still got to trust even through the bad times and we're not promised a life of ease and everything going well all the time. There will be the trials and the tribulations and you can see so many Christians around the world suffering horrifically at the moment. You know, Coptic Christians in Egypt with 49 are blown apart on Easter Sunday, you know, so bad things happen to Christians. And we shouldn't be expecting that everything's going to be fantastic and and wonderful, right? Because it won't be. Look what happened to our Lord.
0: Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
1: It's good to have you along with us today. Our special guest is Graham Leishman. Graham is the chairman of Transit Systems, operating and employing more than 5,000 staff. I mentioned transporting over 170 million passengers each year and just recently named International Business of the Year in the UK. And we've been reflecting on Remembering that British sitcom that many of us grew up with, the uh, On the Buses and those red double-decker buses, also reflecting on some of the tragedy that uh, has gripped uh, Graham over uh, many years and the Grafton bus crash was one of those significant times. Uh, Graham, as we reflect on the Grafton bus crash and the fact that bad things happen to Christian people as well, and uh, and you're not alone in that, of course, as we reflect it, as we reflect on some of those characters that we read about in the scriptures. But tell me how things were uh, beyond uh, the challenges with the bank. Uh, business had failed, basically. You were losing your house. Out of uh, work. You were out of work. You were unemployed. Uh, this was not something that we, you were used to. This wasn't supposed to happen to you, was it?
2: No, no. And, you know, it didn't only affect me, Neil, it had a terrible effect on my wife, obviously, and my children. We tried to protect the children from um, the situation, but we still had our faith. We still got and prayed regularly, et cetera, even though a lot of those prayers were cries of anguish and why me, Lord, stuff, you know, uh, upset. Um, I don't, couldn't understand why all this was going on. But you know, in the middle of it all, I received a letter from a good friend, an old friend of mine that I hadn't seen for a long time, but he knew the struggle I was going through. And he said, look, I was just reading Jeremiah the other day, and it had Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you, plans to bless you and to protect you, and plans to provide a future and a hope for you, and, and not to harm you. Well, in the midst of all that, that arrived, and, and I just sat down on the floor and cried, actually, um, because I was overwhelmed. Here was a promise, I believe, directly from the Lord that things would work out. At the time, I couldn't see it. There were black clouds everywhere, so to speak, and couldn't see the sun. Um, So uh, it was nice to receive that from a good friend, an old Christian friend of mine from Sydney.
1: You suffered in that time uh, depression. Yes. uh, When you're at the bottom of the pit Mm -hmm. and the light seems a long way up, uh, how do you get out of bed each day? Uh, when when you're in the midst of the hardship, when you're in the midst of all of the pressures that are on you, uh, what is it that brings that extra spark of motivation?
2: Well, it's hard to to answer that one, Neil. Um, For many months, I I did wallow a bit in self-pity and and upset and and anger. Uh, It was the same time as the first uh, war in Iraq, and I remember watching regularly people getting blown apart, and I thought, well, my life's not that bad. So um, at the end of the day, I just thought, well, I can't sit here and do this all the time. I've got a family. They've got to be fed. Um, I've got to get going. I've got to get up and find a job, which I did, and went on from there and just pushed on. And things opened up again at a later time. If
1: you've had a particular work ethic before tragedy strikes, is it easier to get back up on your feet a second
2: time? I don't know how to answer that one, Neil. Um, it's very difficult because you, you have restriction, you know, not, not, not a lot of capital in hand, obviously. In fact, we had next to nothing. Um, but an opportunity... See, th- th- can I just go back to the bank for the moment? When they said they wanted to close us down uh, because they wouldn't wait the six weeks for the property to settle, I offered them another property that I owned, which I'd bought outside of the business, and they didn't have their their hand on, so to speak. And I said to them, look, this this property's here. I bought it to build a bus depot site down in Cleveland. Um, I'm willing to put that back into, into the, the loan if you'll just give us another six weeks till this property settles. And they said, no, they wouldn't do it. Well, that was the best thing they did because that property, lo and behold, turned out to be our saviour in a sense. And there's a verse in Isaiah that says, before you called out to me, I answered you. And... That property was we were able to do a subdivision on that property, which I'd originally bought it to to build a bus depot on. Um, but when we weren't in buses anymore, there was no need of the bus depot. <laughs> so I was able to subdivide that and get some capital out of it—not a, not a huge um, subdivision, but enough to give us enough to get started again. And that's when other opportunities opened up. So.
1: I can hear what you're saying here, which is very important for anyone who's going through a tough time. When you're in the middle of the tragedy, when you're sinking to the depths of depression, your faith in God enables you to see something of a bigger picture, that those things that are already past may have already been set there by God. So when you're getting back on your feet some of those things may be strategic in the way that God is going to bring you through and bring blessing to you individually and as a family once again.
2: Yes, absolutely. And, and he works in mysterious ways. You know, look at Job, etc., and the story of Job. Um, and his fortunes were restored to him when he prayed for his friends. And I always take that as when you learn to forgive, um, you can be blessed. And, you know, there was a lot of anger in my part with the report that was done by the investigative accountants firm because they had a conflict of interest. They wanted to get the receivership of the business um, and I don't believe that what they did was correct. And I really had a period where I hated a certain man intensely um, because, you know, I think he did the wrong thing. But uh, at the end of the day, I had to learn to forgive him and I actually bumped into him one day in the shopping centre, and uh, his name was Graham. And we said uh, we bumped in, and my wife was with me. She didn't want to talk to him. She wanted to go other way. I said, look, I've got to talk to this man. So I went over, and we had a discussion, and, and uh, I forgave him. And I think, in, in a sense, he, I felt that I'd, a burden was lifted off me where I didn't hate this man anymore. I'd let go of the hate. And I said, well, what's happened's happened. happened. Forget about that. Move on with your life. Put it behind you, etc.
1: Let's go back, Graham, because in the first part of our conversation before the news, uh, you got to uh, this, uh, you know, the things were going so badly for you. Uh, The bottom had fallen out of business. Uh, You were unemployed. You were depressed. Let me bring you back to the way that you get back on your feet after having gone through that. Uh, Do you, in fact, when you're having that type of depression, and there's a trigger for that, a tragedy that happened with the Grafton bus accident, 21 people killed, uh, bottom falls out of business, getting back on your feet after that, is there a point where you wake up one day and say, I've got to put that behind me and expect that God's going to open some more doors for me?
2: Yes, there is. Yes, that's absolutely correct, Neil. I mean, you just can't sit around Wallowing in self pity. At some point, you have to get up and move on with life. You've got your family that you depend upon your wife, your children, etc. Um, so that's what you do. You get up and you move on, and and you take whatever job you can get. Uh, and in my instance, initially, I was offered a job working for State Transit in New South Wales as a consultant, which I went travelled down to Sydney and did that for six and six, well, actually a little bit longer than six months, and that gave us some capital to put bread on the table, so to speak. Um, and then from that, other opportunities opened up. And if you keep moving, those opportunities will come. If you sit in your, in your bedroom or your lounge room and watch TV all day, nothing opens up. So you've got to get out there and get moving.
1: And of course the growth of things that have happened since then and uh, earlier on I mentioned uh, wherever people are listening around the nation places like Perth where Swan Transit is now a part of your enterprise in Adelaide, Torrens Transit in Sydney Transit Systems, New South Wales in Darwin, Territory Transit and while we've been talking about the UK uh, the most recent business opportunities have been growing in Singapore. Uh, there is a sense in which there's a story to be told with every one of those, no yes. doubt, but things began to snowball in a significant mm. way. I imagine mm. that you didn't anticipate this would grow so significantly.
2: No, we did not. Uh, we first tended, well, how it came about, Beltane Hill, was that uh, in the year 1995, the West Australian government decided they had a little bus operation with 40 buses at a place called Midland on the eastern side of uh, Perth. That they didn't want to run anymore, that they wanted to tender out and to get uh, you know so another operator. So we saw a little ad in the paper or my business partner did, and said, you know, we don't have the money to buy a business, we couldn't raise the money for goodwill to pay for a business, but here's an opportunity that's only forty buzzes, but let's give it a crack. so we we actually tendered for it, and believe it or not, we won it, which shocked us again. <laughs> But from that little 40 bus operation that was very successful and saved the government a lot of money um, and operated at a much higher degree of um, efficiency, etc., uh, that they were happy. Then they started to tender out some of their other parts of Perth and we were successful tendering some of those. And then the South Australian government saw what the West Australian government had done and saved themselves a huge amount of money in their operation. So they started to do the same, same, same thing. So we tendered in Adelaide and won a big contract in Adelaide. And it just snowballed from there, and and this all came from the the uh, rationalisation of bus services in London through Margaret Thatcher, where you know the government operations that were very costly and expensive and not very efficient were being um, looked at to see how they could save taxpayers' money, and this is what flowed back into Australia. So those opportunities came along, and then as we got one, we get the next one, and, and it's sort of a, a leapfrog situation, and it just grew. And and no, I did not expect. Anywhere like this, anything like this to have happened? So.
1: And Graham, you're young enough uh, to see this double in size again. I mean, are opportunities continuing to present themselves in other nations around the world?
2: Absolutely. At the moment, we're tendering in New Zealand, uh, also in, in a number of countries in South America, etc. We've tendered in, in in Holland in the past. We weren't successful there, um, but these opportunities are coming up all the time as governments seek find try to find ways to save operational expense um, to run more efficiently, etc. So, yes, the opportunities are there.
1: Now, when you have opportunities, uh, and the latest one that's really taking off in a significant way is the opportunity you have in Singapore. You mentioned a little earlier in our conversation that you'd introduced a new and different culture uh, onto the buses in Singapore. Where does that culture come from? Is that something that you've just been shaped by in an Australian business environment? Or how much of your Christian faith actually helps to shape the culture of the type of enterprise that you'll introduce into places like Singapore?
2: A lot of it comes from our Christian faith. Uh, My business partners and my son are all Christians. Um, We believe that you should treat everyone with dignity and respect uh, in australia we run every year a, a birthday party where only a couple of weekends ago we had six seven hundred people at the convention center in in Adelaide uh, which was bus drivers and their wives for a night of celebration etc we do that in every every area um, to thank the guys and their wives um, for what they've done for us over the previous year we have entertainment at that convention center and, and it, it's costly but it's worth it and every Christmas we run a Christmas party for the children of our workers, and every child gets a Christmas present. Um, and that's just wonderful. We have rides, we have baby animals, and you know you see six, 700 kids running around enjoying themselves. So that sort of respect and dignity for the people that we work with and work for us is very, very important.
1: There's a popular TV show, isn't there? It's called "Undercover Boss." I imagine you don't have to go undercover to check out what's happening. Uh, when you visit Perth, do you, you know, throw on a T-shirt and a pair of shorts, and you're in your thongs? And do you ever go and catch the bus? Uh, or when you're in Adelaide, or you're visiting Darwin, and you're there for some high-level business meetings, and usually you've got your collar and tie and your suit coat on. Uh, do you throw off uh, all the all the formal stuff and uh, jump on the bus just to see how things are going?
2: Absolutely. And in Adelaide just a couple of weekends ago when I was there for the function, our, our birthday function, uh, my wife and I went and caught a few buses uh, and it was just wonderful to see the drivers wanting to give us advice and direction of where we go, where we should get off, to go to catch a tram, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, in, on the Gold Coast, I regularly catch the tram It's just to see how the other operators are working, you know, and surfside bus lines, et cetera. But wherever you go in the world, public transport's there usually, and we take great delight in just seeing how everyone does it. And a lot of people do it differently, and we can learn a lot from them. So, yes, we do. We get on the buses.
1: Not everybody has a great experience with the bus driver.
2: Right. And
1: uh, have you ever had the experience where you've been jumping on one of your buses, and there's an awful lot of them, 2,200 buses around the world, when you've got on the bus and you actually haven't had a good experience? Have you had that happen? Uh,
2: no, I haven't had it personally, but we get uh, complaints from a lot of people um, that sometimes the driver has done the wrong thing uh, and that's a very difficult situation. We're finding lately with CCTV in all the buses, um, it sorts a lot of issues out uh, and when a complaint's made about a driver, sometimes they're correct and sometimes it's wrong for some strange reason. We look at the CCTV and I could tell you some funny stories, Neil, but we don't have the time. Uh, But um, me personally, no, but that's not to say that some of our drivers haven't done the wrong thing. I'm sure they have.
1: But honour to those good bus drivers and those who've been uh, innocent victims, and I know that it's on the increase where the actual passengers are accused of being abusive, uh, even violent uh, toward bus drivers, and there was a dreadful uh, circumstance in Brisbane that you'd be familiar with of recent times where yes. one driver was killed mm. uh, when an incendiary device was thrown into the bus. And, mm. uh, I mean, mm. and I really that thought. that bus driver is is a hero. I mean, he's out risking his life uh, to to be an employee of a bus company.
2: Mm. Mm. Well, I can't understand society at the moment, Neil. I mean, not only are bus drivers being attacked, but so are ambulance people, so are fireys. Um, where does it stop people want to help well, just doing their everyday duty and, and want to help you and they're being abused and attacked there was a story on TV the other day about a young girl as an ambulance well not a young girl but a girl a young lady who um, had been beaten up while she's trying to help someone who's sick <laughs> like it has got to be something going wrong out there that's right Visions 2020
0: with Neil Johnson a biblical perspective on life culture and current
1: events Pardon me, a really great opportunity today to reflect on one of Australia's most successful businessmen. Graham Leishman is our guest. He's the chairman of Transit Systems. We've been talking about buses through this hour. But, Graham, as we talk about buses and, uh, and your business enterprises go beyond that uh, to uh, retirement villages and uh, uh, ferry services, uh, all sorts of different areas, lots of areas, too many to mention. Uh, When business starts to blossom and grow, uh, I imagine that sometimes it's easy to lose sight of your Christian foundations, but you grew up in a Christian home, and your Christian faith has been a part of your journey all the way through, from the highs, then to the tragic lows, and then into the growth again, into what is much more significant than you could have even imagined. When you reflect on your faith, how do you see your faith, Graham Leishman, in amongst all of the activities that are going on, and even the opportunity now to influence others in different parts of the world?
2: Well, I'm honoured and humbled by it, really, the opportunities I've been given. As you said, Neil, I grew up in a Christian family. I have the most wonderful father who's still alive at 94, a lovely Christian man, incredible work ethic, uh, and a role model for me. Uh, and my brothers and sisters and um, my mum died early unfortunately but dad's gone on and and, uh, I've learned so much from him and I sit with him regularly he's in Gosford New South Wales and we just talk about the past for me and my Christian faith without that influence I had from my father and I just like to say to all families listening out there that the dad is so important to children Um, it was just wonderful to to see the truth and the honesty uh, that that his faith, you know, what he said was what he was, and he, you couldn't separate the two. He was a very strong Christian, loving, caring person. Would go out of his way to help people, etc. Treated everyone as if they were his equal. No one was below him. Everyone was equal, and treated them with respect and dignity. So out of that grew my faith and my brothers and sisters. Similarly. Um, and it's been an honor and a privilege to have been born into that family. Going on in my own life, uh, I have my ups and downs like everybody does. You have your dry spots and your good spots, um, but overall I've just been blessed, uh, and he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we ever thought possible or dreamt. So for him that works in us, and these Bible verses are just wonderful to, to re-strengthen, to encourage, to to build up your Christian faith. Um, I try to read the Bible every day, even if it's only short bits, but I think that's so very important to keep in touch with the source of life.
1: When you're talking family, faith and business and you're taking risks in business, every time you have some new acquisition, that's a risky thing. Every time there's a tragedy, as we've been talking, that's a risk. How important is it uh, to know you've got that foundation of faith But also, uh, and exciting to hear that your dad is still alive uh, in his 90s, to have your family, your wife, your children, your parents, cheering from the sidelines when you actually take those risks. How does that enable you to actually take perhaps a bigger risk than you would be able to if you were isolated and on your own?
2: Well, it does. It does encourage us to do that. I am a risk taker, and uh, that's good and bad, Neil. <laughs> Some of the, you don't get them all right. I can assure you. <laughs> so you've got to be very careful. But look, um, in all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Yes, um, the support of your of your family is wonderful in those risks that you take, but you've got to know that you're supported by the Lord too, and. That's so important, and I have made some horrendous mistakes um, in the business decisions I've made at different times that turned out to be very bad. And then usually when I'm out of touch, a little bit in the dry spot, and think I can do all this myself, I don't need you, I'm I'm, I'm quite capable, I've done all the, the due diligence, et cetera, but you make a monumental stuff up, you know. So it's, it's a very difficult thing, but it is wonderful to have the support of the family, and they all know that I'm risk takers. Although at one stage there were m- my wife... Um, when we lost everything that she wasn't too sure about all this risk she would have been not happy with a few less risks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure uh, graham uh, just uh, an honor to have you share your heart with us today and for listeners who are in southeast queensland uh, there is an opportunity to meet graham and hear graham speak this coming friday he's speaking at his, what is known as the toowoomba business breakfast now it'll be this friday uh, the venue is Bon Amici in Margaret Street in Toowoomba. Uh, you will need to book there. As I understand it, there are just a few places still uh, around tables in the Bon Amici restaurant where you can hear Graham speak. Graham is going to be talking about overcoming challenges uh, you might have uh, yourself, you might have a business partner, you might have someone you'd like to take along to a breakfast like that, hear something more of Graham's story, and uh, hear about how to overcome challenges. Well, uh, there is some some tickets still available to that. So uh, the number to call, of course, if you'd like to do that, is our office line here at Vision, one 800 o triple seven o. So one 800 o. Triple Seven O. if you'd like to uh, get one of those last remaining tickets for that business breakfast on Friday in Toowoomba. Uh, So for people in southeast Queensland, uh, you'll have access to uh, hear Graham speak. Graham, just a privilege hearing these insights, uh, hearing the connection between your faith, your family, your business, hearing of the tragedy of the Grafton bus crash uh, of the bottom falling out of everything you were doing in your life spiraling downward and how God had already put in place those things that would enable you to get back on your feet and to now be exploring new areas of business that you'd never dreamed of before thank you so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020